We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. Today's message is taught by our lead pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Yes! Hey, good morning to you. If you're here uh, with us here, we just welcome you and your family. If you're joining us online in the middle of the week, hello to you. Uh, and listen, I'm, I'm more geeked out than normal to be able to be here with you guys today because today we get a chance to announce the results of our Beyond the Walls movement. And uh, just to, re- to kind of refresh our memory, a few weeks ago we, we preached this sermon about how we need to live beyond the walls, that, that God designed us to go beyond just our Jerusalem, but to the outmost parts of the world. And, and so in order to do that, we needed to look contextually what that looked like for us. And what that looks like is that there's a whole lot of people that might never step foot in this building, but they might if we had something digital for them to, to be able to connect with us in. And so we said as a church, we're connected, we're committed to going beyond the walls. And so we are going to create an online campus that will have a campus pastor in real time uh, growth groups and, and connection points and serving and all the things that a, that a church that we're, you're used to being a part of has, but to do that digitally. And so we said in order to do that, we're going to have to raise some money in order to do that. And so above and beyond our tithes and offerings, you, y'all committed to be a part of something bigger than yourself. The whole project was going to cost $110,000. One family had said, hey, we'll give $40,000 toward that, which left us with about $70,000 in order to raise, in order to start a brand new church right here at Crossroads. So today, are you ready to hear how we did? All right? Are you ready? Okay. Five people are ready. Okay. All right. Here we go. So our, our, our goal our goal is to try to get $70,000, and what we have so far is... 89,298. Yeah! Love it. So if you helped online, if you helped in person, thank you because the total cost was going to be 110,000. We're at 129,000. And just last service alone, something really cool happened. One of the police chaplains for the sheriff's department actually said, hey, I wonder if we talk to the other sheriffs and the other police the police, and see if they wanted to be a part of it. And just last service, Pat, uh, Sheriff Pat Withrow and Larry Elliott came and they presented a check to be a part of the Beyond the Walls movement as far as Pat and his wife personally. And then all the police officers as well have, have kind of donated to this. So I think that's really cool to see us kind of going beyond the walls that way. So um, here's what I want to do. I, I just want to pray for this and, and say thank you for being a part of something bigger than yourself. You're going to start to see some movement happening, and I'm excited to share that with you. So let, let's pray. Father God, we, we just lift up this, this nearly $90,000 that people have said, hey, I, I believe in what's happening here at Crossroads, and I want to see this continue beyond the walls. And more importantly, God, we did this for your son, Jesus, because we want more people to know him as Lord and Savior. So we will do anything that it takes in order to make that happen. And so God, thank you for the men and the women, the families that sacrificed to be able to make this happen. But also we pray that you would be glorified through it. So every, uh, every ounce of construction that needs to happen, the technical that has to happen, we lift it up to you and ask that you would bless it and that we would be overwhelmed and overcome by what you do during this process. So thank you for letting us be a part. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we'll let you know more about it. But today we're in the middle of our series. It's called Send It. And Send It is a series that is really more of a mindset than it is a sermon title. Send It is what you do when you're just going for it. Like we see those cliff jumpers on the videos and things like that. They say send it. They go for it. They don't hold anything back. And we've been looking at this church at First Thessalonians that did that very same thing. They sent it for, for Jesus. And so the first four weeks we said, hey, what does it look like to be a send it person, a send it church? Week one we said in order to do that we need to remind ourselves that Jesus jumped first. 
that it's the gospel that goes in front of us to be able to, to set the stage for anything that we do. Week two, we said that we wanna, if we want to have faithful families that follow Jesus, we need to have faith-filled parents first or faith-filled individuals to, to be able to make that happen. So we said we have to do that. Then number three, the week three, we said, what, what about persecution? This church went through all kinds of persecution and terrible things happened to them, but they persevered through it. And through that, we found that there's actually purpose in persecution, and it's known as perseverance, that we actually grow to be more connected with God through our struggles. And then last week, we talked about how if we really want to have this life of faith, we need to live it out in love. And didn't Pastor Ed Applegate just do a great job last week of bringing that message? Just so awesome. So awesome. He, he said a couple things, that analogy with the wartime phone and then also the hotel phone. Great stuff. But he said something that stuck out with to me. It said, he said, life is a battle for us all. Life is a war. It is a time for daring prayers and a time for prayers for endurance. I just love that connection that he made. So if you missed any of those messages, any of the, one of those four weeks, go back online to our website. You can find them there. Or they're all on our free app, which we'd love for you to download to take a look at and be a part of that. Now, We'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today. If you want to get your Bibles out or your digital Bibles online, we'd love for you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Or the app has all the scriptures already there for you. You can dive in with us there. But as you do that, let me just, let me just say, does anybody remember... Does anybody remember math class, like math growing up? Does anybody remember that? You know, you know like that, that, that nightmare that you had about the Pythagorean theorem monster with, uh, with the A squared, B squared, C squared minions trying to stab you to death if you didn't figure out the area of the triangle? Just my nightmare? Okay, that's all right. Yeah, but, but, but you remember, like, you would study in math for, for weeks and weeks and weeks to try to get this one concept and then before, right before you, you dropped out in the fourth grade and started digging ditches, you know, you're like, wait, I think I got it. And you're like, yes. And then the next day, the teacher would walk into the room and say, we've got something else to teach you. And you're like, no, I just got that one figured out. And so you start to say, I don't know if I'm ever, number one, going to use any of this stuff, which you, you won't, but, but, but am I ever going to get this? Am I ever going to get it? And as we think about our spiritual walk with God, I think sometimes we can get tied up in that way too. And it really happens in a couple of different ways. One is where we start to think, well, maybe it's like me in math, where you just don't know if you'll ever really get to where God wants to go. It's like you're swimming upstream against the Holy Spirit the whole time, and you're never making any headway, and you ask, I don't even know. And so you have this tendency to say, well, I think I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to call it quits. But... But then on the other side is those people that feel like they figured it all out already. You know, those super spiritual people that have somehow figured out everything, like they're Laura Croft from Tomb Raider, and they figured it all out themselves. But what they forget is that they kind of puff up their chest in their self-righteousness. They, they forget by saying that they already know it all. They show how much they don't really know in the middle of it. And so you have this sense of, oh, well, have I arrived or will I ever get there? And here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we actually hear from Paul this profound statement that he makes that I think is important before we go any further. And it says in verse 1, he says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. So this is really profound to think about if you, if you stop for a moment. One is that he's saying that there is a way that pleases God that we live. That there is such a thing that we could do. And he says that this church is actually doing it. Like that's amazing to think that they've actually done the thing that God wants them to do and is living the way they want them to live. That's, 
That's crazy. To which you would probably say, well, the rest of this book is Paul probably saying, well, just keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're doing a great job. Just kind of keep on keeping on. But that's not what we read. Look what Paul says next. He says, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So, so there is this deep down passion by Paul for the fact that this church, although they're doing some great stuff now, he says, I want you to do this more and more, he says. More and more. In other words, he's saying, I want you to take your faith to the next level. To the next level. He says, don't get overwhelmed. Don't think that you've arrived. Remember that you can do this more and more because it's a process for your entire life. And, and we might stop there and start thinking, well, that's, that's kind of overwhelming. Like, how, how am I supposed to do that? Like, I barely made it to church today. How, what else did he possibly want from me? However, what's beautiful about God is that he actually shows us what it looks like to this more and more. What does it really look like? Verse 3, it says this. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified. So, so Paul says the way that you go more and more is that you learn to be sanctified. Now, sanctification, what in the world does that even mean? Number one, it's 21 points if you do it in Scrabble, by the way. Just a little me to you. Like you can get 21 bones just for that or words for friend. But is, is there more to that? What does it even mean? But as I was thinking about it, I think there's actually a great connection. It, it, it's funny. Uh, so, so recently I've just been connecting with more and more people, different people. And uh, some of those people are bodybuilders. You know, you know, people that like lift weights to try to, to improve their bodies, to compete, to do those different things. And what's interesting is as you, as you le learn about their stories and where they start and where they're at, there was this desire at one point to become a bodybuilder, that they wanted to do that, to look that way, to feel that way. They wanted to do that. So, but what, in order to do that, they had to, to change what they eat. They had to start eating certain things and stop eating certain things. They had to have water at the right time and not water at the right time. And they had to sleep differently. They had to work out differently in order to do that. They had to learn to have the perfect spray tan, like whatever that is, like just perfect, you know. So there's, this, there's these things in order to do. So their goal was, hey, I want to be a bodybuilder. But in order to get to that point, they had to do certain things in order to accomplish that goal. Now, same thing is about sanctification. Sanctification is saying, I want to be like Jesus. And that there are steps and things that I can do in order to become more like Jesus. But that's what we see sanctification really being about. I, I love how author uh, David Paulison actually describes it. He says that to be sanctified is to have your faith simplified, clarified, and deepened. And I really think that's important because it kind of clears the cobwebs just a little bit for us. Because what it is, is too often or not, when we start to hear these big words, we start to try to unpack them. We start to like blank out or dismiss them as not possible for us. But what he just said is he said, I want to simplify it and clarify it. Now, I think all of us would love that. If there was a way for our faith to somehow be more simple and have more clarity to it, we'd sign up for that. But wouldn't it be interesting is as we did that, what if we actually grew deeper with God? That's actually what sanctification is all about. That actually as we grow with God, as we grow to know him more, it's a sign that he's kind of shown, he's showing up a little bit more and we know him a little bit deeper. But what so many of us think is that because we want to know Jesus more, what we want is we want to happen in a, in a snap, right? Just in an in a, in a instant. We want to wake up, be just like Jesus. Just like those people that, that say, hey, I want to be a bodybuilder. They say, you know what? 
I just want to be shredded. That's, that's really what I do. So can I just be shredded now and not go through all that other stuff? No, you can't. That's not part of the process. You can't do that. And the same thing is with following Jesus. You have to understand there's a middle part of that training that goes along with it. But I think what's important is we need to dive a little bit deeper to understand sanctification and to go back to the Greek word that actually means sanctified. The word sanctification comes from the word hegiosmos. Hegiosmos. And hegiosmos, the Greek word means a process leading to a state of holiness. Now that's really important. This is key to understand that this is a process. It is a process, not an instant change. And why that's so important is that we can then realize that this is going to take our entire life in order to get there. In fact, we will never get there, this side of heaven. And sanctification leads to all kinds of other shuns in our life. Because sanctification leads to purification, which leads to regeneration, which leads to glorification, which leads to us being with Jesus forever after this life is over. But we must constantly remind ourselves that it is a, a process. It is a process. And I became convinced of this actually this summer when I was uh, helping to assist a coach my daughter's 10U travel softball team. We were the Manteca Wave, right? Manteca Wave. We were the wave. And, and I was, uh, was one of the assistant coaches on the 10U team. And, and I found myself in the middle of the year being adult mad and adult frustrated with eight, nine, and 10-year-old little girls, okay? You know what I'm saying? Like I was slapping my leg in anger, ripping out my eyebrows because that's all the hair I have, you know? I was like, I was adult yelling at the people. You know what I mean? Like I was that guy. You know, the guy that you're like, you're a pastor. I'm that guy, okay? I was competitive. I was that guy. But in that moment, I kind of snapped out of it for a second. And I realized these are seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old little girls. And, and something happened. And I started to look at that through the lenses of sanctification. <laughs> That's what you get when you have a full-time pastor as a part-time softball coach. The worlds collide in some weird ways, okay? So, so I realized that, that this is, this is a process. That these girls aren't going to go from not knowing anything to knowing everything in the blink of an eye. It is a process that happens and it's also a personal process. See, since sanctification is a personal process, this also means that we can't go back to math again and say that sanctification looks the same for everybody else. That A plus B is always going to lead to C. Or that if you do A, B is going to happen. No, no, no. It is much more nuanced than that. Let's go back to softball one more time. If I'm teaching a girl to be able to throw... I, I, wanna, I have to realize that in order for that goal to happen, it's going to happen different for each one. Why? Because their, their, their musculature might be a little bit different. Their coordination might be different. They might process information different. And although the goal is to throw a ball as fast as they can in a straight line, the way that we get at that goal is going to be different. So for some girls, it might be different drills. We might have to have a little bit more patience. It might take more time. But the goal is still the same. See, see, we need to give ourselves, and this should hopefully help you today and online also, that you need to realize that I'm going to give you permission that it is okay to not have your walk with Jesus look like everyone else's. You have permission to have that look differently. But, but we also need to realize that it is a process we willingly enter into. It's not like sanctification, like there's the sanctification car wash that you just sit in there and it drags you through while you're scrolling through Instagram. And by the time you get to the end, you're like, well, look at that. I'm like Jesus. Yeah, yeah it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Like you have to willingly want these things to happen. 
And sanctification is an interesting process by which, pay attention, that we say no to things that we want to say yes to and yes to things that we would rather say no to. Say no to things we want to say yes to, yes to things that we'd rather say no to. That's sanctification. But God is cheering you on the whole time, saying, keep going. I want you to be a part of this because he knows that the closer you become, the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you're going to be to how he designed you to be. And so equipped with all of that, we get a chance to understand a little bit more about this today. And over the next few verses that we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, we'll see that Paul's going to show us four areas of our life that need to have sanctification be a part of it as we grow to be more like Jesus. So for those that like to take notes and like to write things down, I'm going to give you four things. Type A, type A plus people unite. We'll be ready for this. We can do it. But here's the first one and why this is PG-13, because the first area of sanctification is sex. The sanctification of sex, verse 3, says this. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. So what does that mean? What's that noise about? You know, what does it mean to have a sanctified view of sex? Well, see, this is the first area that I think is the hardest for both Christians and non-Christians alike to kind of wrap our minds around because we think it's difficult. But this might be the most clear-cut thing that we read in the Bible as it comes to sanctification of, of sex. It's the most clearly de de uh, delineated. It, God has a clear design. One man, one woman, in one marriage for one lifetime, culminating that union together through the act of sex. That's what he says. That's why the writer of Hebrews would explain it this way. He says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. That's, that's what we read. But look closely. This actually describes a little bit about what it means to have a sanctified to sanctify sex. But we need to order, notice the order. The first thing is, is that we need, he says that we need to honor marriage. The first part of it is that we have to honor marriage as sacred by God. It was created by God. And then the next level of sanctifying our sex life and sex in general is to realize that it's to be kept in the marriage. That should be pure in marriage. It's reserved for marriage only. The order is important. Because sex has been so misplaced and, and mistreated that it's, I believe it's lost the holiness that God intended it for, to have. See, see, nowadays, sex is a business. It's an escape from reality. It's a, it's a rite of passage. It, it's a way to test compatibility with people. It's even become a digital peer pressure for our students. Did you know that nowadays this idea of sexting and sending nudes to one another is a way to be, be able to maintain your coolness? amongst our teenagers. Guys, all of this has warped sex into something it was never meant to be. But also we need to be careful and to remember what God is not saying about sex. He's not saying that the sanctification of sex is avoiding it altogether. So listen, sex is not bad. God created it and he actually says it's very, very good. So I'm not saying anything, don't stop having sex. Goodness gracious, don't stop having sex. I'm not saying that at all. But what Paul says here is that we need to avoid sexual immorality. And the word used for there in the Greek is this word porneia. And porneia is kind of described as a junk drawer uh, word for all the, 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 regard, the, the weird sexual stuff that we try to have loopholes around. You name it, it's probably in there. So, so no matter what the sexual loophole you're trying to get around the scripture with, porneia actually slams the door shut and says, no, can't do that either. That's not right. So the way that we sanctify sex, our sex life, is number one, respecting the covenant of marriage as holy and created by God. 
And then number two, seeing the beauty that is found in saving ourselves for our spouse in marriage. So that's for singles, that's for dating people, that's for engaged people, that's for people thinking about dating. That's even for the group of people that, think, yeah, that have been married and they want to get married again. And they're like, you know what, I've already been down that aisle. What's the big deal? It's a big deal. It's for everybody. You don't get a hall pass just because you went down there once before. It's about Jesus in our life in all areas. So it's for everybody. But I think it's also very fitting that Paul starts off this discussion about sanctification by starting with sex. Because I think that if we were to get this part of our life right, then we set ourselves up for success in all the other areas he's going to describe. Which leads us to the next area Paul speaks about. It's actually found in verses 4 through 6. I'll read it for you. It says that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you about before. So it's interesting that right after this talk about sex, Paul mentions self-control. And it may seem to be obvious, this obvious connection, that in order to have sexual sanctification, we need to have self-control. might seem obvious, but I think what Paul is talking about here is broader than that. It's more of a global control of oneself. This is basically what parents do and try to instill in their kids from the day they're born until they're like 30, like just a long time, you know? And, and I know this firsthand. You know, my, my son Easton, I'm telling you, we still have conversations with him about every store we go into. Do not touch anything, right? You know, and you've done the pocket thing. You know, you have you put you put your hands in your pocket. You fall on your face. Keep them in there. We'll pick you up somehow, some way. We'll figure it out. Just don't do it. Why do we do that? Because Team Hunt owns a ten dollar Olaf sippy cup from the Disney store in the mall because Easton had to taste the goods before we actually bought it. You know, we look over and he's sucking on the beak of Olaf right there. You know, in the middle of it, right? Um, and, and so instead of being like y'all who would take it and put it in the back of the shelf, you know, way back there in the corner, so some poor sap gets the Easton like special, you know, straw. No, I see you. I see what's happening, right? We were much more holy and we bought that thing. And now we own a Olaf mug to show what self-control should look like, right? That's what it looks like, right? But here's the thing. And here's an interesting thing you probably never thought about. Um, I've never once had to have a special meeting with Easton about how to lose control. Never, you know? It's not like I'm like, hey, buddy, listen, um, really under control right now. What if you did this a little bit? Nice. No, perfectly fine figuring that out on his own. It's almost like self-control is like a sinful defect in the human operating system that we always are trying to fight against. And so we preach and we talk about this to our kids. Why? Not because we were perfect, but because we saw the side effects of us not having self-control in our life. Oh, and by the way, you don't have to be a Christian or even believe in God to believe this. Think about this. You, you might be a single mother here today, and, the, you reason, and that's the reason you're preaching to your daughter to save herself from marriage, because you don't want her to do the same thing you did. You, you might have went to jail, and you're talking to your kids about don't go down the same path that I did. Have self-control. You might be right now addicted to pain pills, and you are telling your kids, don't follow me at all. This is what's going to happen to your life. And you don't have to be a parent either. You, you see that with your family, with your friends. You, you do that all the time. But we tell them that so they won't follow us, that they won't have the lack of self-control that we have. Except God has deeper reasons why he wants us to have self-control. 
And the reason for that is that self-control is a sign that we're becoming more like Jesus. It's sanctification. One of the most obvious examples of this is if you follow Jesus' life. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, he was being um, tempted by Satan. But this was after he had already been baptized. He was sent to the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights of fasting. And so after that time, Satan then tries to tempt him. Actually, he tries to weak, weak, uh, work off of his self-control. First thing he says is, hey, Jesus, I know you're hungry. There's some rocks over there. Why don't you turn them into bread, eat them, and that way you won't be hungry anymore. And Jesus tells him in verse 4, he says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus has self-control. Satan then says, well, hey, what if we just test your power and authority? In fact, he, he lets him look out over all the kingdoms. And he says, if you'll just basically bow down to me, I'll give you all the, all the kingdoms that are out there. You can have it all. You'll have all the power. Jesus says back to him, he says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and worship him only. Jesus has self-control. Last thing Satan does, he brings Jesus up to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. says, throw yourself down from it. Call on angels to come and save you. Show your divinity to everyone, and then you, will be, you, you can show yourself as God. Jesus says, he says, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus had self-control. Jesus demonstrated to us self-control. So as we grow to become more like Jesus, we should also be growing in our self-control. It's a sign that the Holy Spirit is inside us and that we're growing. Paul would even tell us that it's a sign of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control makes the list. It's that important to us. And so in its simplest form, self-control is choosing to give God control of our life instead of ourself. And that fights against everything we believe in, doesn't it? Because what we say is that I need to be in control of everything in my life, or in, except if I don't, I'll be out of control. If I'm not in control, I'm out of control. And that's where Satan gets us. Because Satan wants to convince us that we're in control of our life. He does. When in reality, our life is completely out of control without Jesus. Only when God is in control of our life do we then have this desire to be more like his son Jesus and then in turn have control over ourself. And when that happens, we can have control over our bodies and what we do and use them in holy ways. We can have control over sexual urges to honor God. We can have control over our language because it's going to not hurt people but help people. We can have control of our temper and not sin and anger because it's being sanctified through Jesus. Only by being sanctified through Jesus is any of that possible. But did you know that the world doesn't reward self-control? It destroys it. It does not want you to be in control of yourself. It wants to destroy that. But over time... By staying connected with, in God's word, staying connected in prayer, having good people around you that love Jesus, you too and I can grow to be more like Jesus each and every day. It will start to look like this life that is set apart from the world that's around us. Which is why I think what Paul says next is so important in verses 7 and 8. Uh, he says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instructions does not reject a human being, but God the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paul says that we are actually called by God to live a life that is different than what we're living right now because we are called to be holy. And holy means set apart. It means to be different. And not different like you got a tattoo on your face of all the, the Finding Dory characters, like not that different, you know, but, but different in the sense that we're following what God says and that's different than the world and that's okay because God is holy. God is set apart. He is different. He is perfect. That is what he is. He, he is different because there is no other God that can compete with him. 
And, and this is what God has called for our life. And Peter would actually tell us this in 1 Peter. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holy moly, that's a lot of holies. Right? There's a lot going on there. God himself is inviting us to be holy like he, he is. That as God looks to us in the next level of where we need to be, he puts holiness on the list. And that's amazing. But here's where we start to get a little hesitant with this whole thing, this whole holiness idea, because, because what you might be going through, what might be going through in your mind, you might be thinking like, listen, I don't, are you kidding? Holiness? Like, that's my goal? I can't, I can't be holy. I can't be set apart. It would be easier to convince Elon Musk that I'm his cousin than to be able to be holy. Like, it's just not going to happen. So we give up before we even start. But listen, holiness is not something to be obtained. It's something to be pursued. It's something to work toward. The pursuit of holiness is part of the sanctification process. But the other side of the conversation is important to consider too. Because there might be some of you thinking that, oh, you Christians, you think you're so much better than everybody else, right? We start talking about holiness and people think, oh, what, who made you, who, who, who do you think, why do you think you're holier than thou? It's the only time we ever use King James in our normal language ever, right? You know, who made, you're holier than thou, we say. See, holiness has this stigma of elitism and self-righteousness associated with it. And, and Christian, listen, if we're not careful, that will be 100% true. And if you're here today and you don't believe in God or Jesus or any of this, you probably are saying, preach on, bald man. Preach on, bald man, because why? You've experienced it. It's happened to you. It's happened to you. And how this has happened is when we as Christians lose the humility of being holy. When we lose out on that. And when we realize, because here's the thing. When we realize as Christians how far, how far we're going to fall short of actually being holy, it should humble us to our knees, not make us look down our nose at people. That's what it should draw us to. The true pursuit of holiness is to remember that Jesus was holy and set apart and different, and he humbled himself as a man to come to this earth so that we could relate to him and receive his love. Which, which is what I, why I feel the next section of Paul's scripture is so important because what it will do, it, it was a, it'll diffuse the holiness bomb that our culture has around it because the next thing that we need to do to sanctify our life is sanctification of love. Sanctification of love, he says. Look at verses 9 through 10. It says, Now about your love for one another, we do not write to you for yourselves, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family through, throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. So if we remember, this church is a church that Paul is hearing about all throughout his travels. It keeps coming back to this church at Thessalonica, Thessalonica, and they're doing great stuff despite being persecuted and beat up and killed, and, 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 and they're pursuing holiness, it says. But he says the reason they're standing out is because of their love. Despite all the stuff that's happening to them, despite their pursuit of holiness, they are known as being loved as they pursue holiness. And as Christians, I think we need to learn to sanctify our love too. Sometimes Christians are the most exclusive when it comes to love and who, who will love and who we won't. 
It's just true. We filter out all kinds of people that don't make our love cut because of their, their politics or their gender or their sexual orientation or their salary or their criminal records. Except in the middle of, our, of puffing out our chest in self-righteousness, we conveniently forget that when Jesus was on this earth, he was criticized for hanging out with criminals and addicts and prostitutes and zealots and sinners and all kinds of other people. In fact, it seemed as though he sought out those people to hang out with, not to ridicule them, not to condemn them to hell, but to love them. And when he loved them, it didn't change the fact that they were sinning or they were being abused by the culture. It, it didn't change what was right. It didn't change what was wrong. But his love gave him permission to speak into their lives and show them the truth of who he was. But if he didn't love, he had nothing. Paul would say the same thing, 1 Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So love without God is just noise. But love with God is everything you need. That's what we see. Jesus himself would tell us this in, in John. He'd say, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People know that we are following Jesus closer when we are loving like Jesus. And we do that, and when we do that, it leads us to the final area of sanctification that is so important for us to remember. And it's the sanctification of life. Sanctification of life. Look in verse 11. It says, it says um, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Gang, listen, people are watching you. People are watching you. Whether you like it, whether you realize it, whether you want to admit it, people are watching you, especially if you're a Christian. Guys, we need to know your sanctification is helping other people make a determination, determination on whether or not they want Jesus for their salvation. They're watching you. Because frankly, people have all kinds of things that don't mean anything to, their in, to them in their lives. So why would they want to add one more? If your faith doesn't mean anything to you, why in the world should it matter to them? Guys, listen, our whole life needs to be sold out to Jesus. Our married life, our single life, our divorced life, our job life, our entire life needs to be sold out to Jesus. Not our Thursday and Sunday version of our life, but our entire life. And the reason God does that is because he knows that there is more upon more in us. There is more in you than you think. God sees it. He wants you to see it. In fact, I want you to take a look, uh, look at a clip from the movie uh, Facing the Giants to see how this comes together. Mm. Now, see, I, I show you that clip because I want you to remember this one thing today. That God asks more from you because he knows that there's more in you. There, there just is more in you. What that young man didn't think he could do, he did then, did, did that and then some. With somebody even heavier on his back than what he thought. He, because he, there was more in him. 
And see, I don't know how you came in here today. I don't know what version of God you, you drug in here with you today. But I'm willing to bet that there's some of you that probably have this view of God, that he's way up in this ivory tower somewhere, and he's just waiting for you to screw up. And he, he wants to make sure that when you do, he's going to zap you with a lightning bolt or take away all your fun or, or just or just make your life terrible. He just, he just wants to see you fail. And I know that there are people that see him as way up there. And if that God is way up there, why would I ever want to ever connect with him? Because he's not in it for me. He's not doesn't have my best interest in mind. But what if, what if instead of looking at that God way up there, you realize that that God actually came down here. He came down to you and me so he could meet us eye level. And instead of bellowing us from us from way up above and telling us all the things that we can't do, what if he was looking us right in the eye and saying, you can do it, you can do it, keep going, keep going, don't give up. Look at me, don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your, your job. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up. You might be addicted now, but you can keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop. You can keep going. Don't stop. Come on. Come on. There's more in you. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, might that be our anthem as we leave here, that we are a child of God. And if you, God, tell us that we are love that we are yours and then you say there's more in us we just believe it we believe that there's more in us and that it's safe to come closer to you because the closer we come to you the more we become like your son jesus so help us to be different people that walked in these doors when we leave here might we go into the world to face whatever might come but father we trust that you go with us and so God, we will give you more and more because we believe that you've done more and more for us. So it's in your beautiful name that we live our lives. It's your beautiful name, Jesus, that we pray this prayer. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great week. Tag your it. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.